0: And welcome back to Air Magique. I'm your host, Eric, and with me is my amazing co-host Niels. Hello everyone.
1: Today we will be doing a deep dive on Fantasyland at Disneyland Paris in part four of our
0: new deep dive land by land series. Yes, nothing quite awakens your childlike dream like Fantasyland does. But before we get to all that, Niels and I wanted to make a big, big, big announcement for Air Magique. Yes. If you've been listening to this show and like what you've been hearing and would like to help out Niels and myself, You now can over our Patreon, which you can find under patreon.com slash or just follow the link in the show notes. You know, this is just something that can help us cover some of the running costs of the show, like editing and all that good stuff. So we'd really appreciate it. And not only that, but you also get access to some fantastic bonus episodes. So with the new one coming out with each episode of Airmagique, so we have four bonus episodes available right now with this new one that we're recording on top. (laughs) So five. You also get early access to the main show so you can hear it before anybody else does. And, you know, I've always considered myself a low-key audiophile, Like, (laughs) I like things to sound as good as they can, which is why we master the show completely losslessly, but unfortunately podcast distributors always compress the audio. So it sounds good, but it's always just a little bit less than what you get in studio. But now over Patreon, you can access the last five episodes of Ermagique, as well as all future episodes and the bonus shows in a completely lossless, high fidelity audio format. So you can listen to us as if you're right here in the studio with us. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so we've got all that for you right now and a bunch more coming in the future with early bird access starting at just two years euro per month, and you can cancel any of course, but we'd really appreciate it. And thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Yo, so what's been going on in the parks? They've been closed, but I've been hearing some things. <laughs> yeah. You've been hearing <laughs> something. <laughs> Whispers in the night under my bed. So there's a
1: construction project going on uh, at uh, Disneyland Paris, or well, close to Disneyland Paris, actually. Um, it's a cast member housing complex. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's (laughs) (laughs) Les-play-de. Sounds (laughs)
0: legit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this opening day uh, residence is in the process of uh, being demolished and completely rebuilt with uh, 600 modern studios, uh, campus style, with all services uh, on site for the cast members that should live close to the parks uh, and usually don't. So uh, yeah, that's a great investment uh, from the Walt Disney Company.
0: Cast member housing, I think that's really great. I read online that they did already have some cast member housing but it's been really not so nice the last few years so that's a really nice thing for the cast members to help them out to get them affordable housing i know they do the same thing over in orlando yeah. they have whole neighborhoods just dedicated to the cast yeah. members so they have many <laughs> yeah yeah totally and it looks super nice in the architectural rendering so i'm i'm really happy for them and yeah i hope that it's going to be a nice place to
1: live yeah yeah so maybe uh, we could uh, work there uh, one day eric (laughs) (laughs) so they can offer us uh, housing and uh, (laughs) we work there for a couple of months it'd
0: be super interesting to get a really in-depth look behind the scenes right exactly yeah
1: also um, solar canopies are taking uh, shape in the parking lot of Disneyland Paris so uh, yeah i think they started building them (laughs) somewhere in the middle of the parking lot. There's some progress uh, visible now, um, especially from some nice air pictures that I saw uh, on uh, social media. Yeah. It's good to see that the park is uh, becoming more green uh, this way. And also, um, well, we will have a covered walkway (laughs) from a car to the main walkway uh, to the park. Always good uh, in France to have that. Yeah, definitely.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's either rainy or cold or... (laughs) Or too sunny. Too too sunny, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's always something.
0: (laughs) I'm so happy that they're investing in renewable technologies. I mean, of course, it isn't as exciting as like an e-ticket attraction or anything like that. But this (laughs) is such a nice quality of life addition for the park goer. Your cars yep. in the shade; it won't get too hot in the summer. You won't get wet when True. it's raining. And on top of that, they're producing electricity, so yeah. it's using the it's space really effectively. Win-win. Yes, totally, totally. Yeah, it's like Trump's wall, but it's actually happening and helping people. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, and <laughs> with all the extra energy that they uh, well <laughs> collect now, they can definitely open a new uh, e-ticket attraction. <laughs> so uh, let's see uh, what the future will bring there.
0: Yes, yeah, uh, I'm sure it will really contribute to the park's electricity usage, or in general, just. Support. Supporting the net. So that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. So now on to our main topic, which is, of course, Fantasyland. Growing up with the parks, this is my favorite land in my earliest memories. Switching (laughs) over to Frontierland later, of course. uh, (laughs) Fantasyland, it's just so comforting and non threatening to children. The world just feels so whole and at peace there. Yeah, I'm going to be super rude here and start off with my first pick. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) My first pick is something edible, which is Fantasia Mm, Gelati. I mean, yes. This is an ice cream parlor in the Italian section of Fantasyland at Disneyland Paris, which Niels is going to tell you about those later. So it's located next to Pizzeria Bella Notte restaurant. And according to Walt Disney Imagineer Tom Morris, who was show producer of Fantasyland at Disneyland Paris... The ice cream parlor was called Fantasia, or Fantasia, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's a name that translates across multiple languages and sounds really fun. Smart. Yeah. It suggests a variety of flavors and has a solid connection to two Disney films. So the building's exterior was designed by Walt Disney Imagineering architect Ron Bauman. The facade is held in pastel shades of pink and cream colors, so that is associated with ice cream. It also <laughs> harmonizes really well with the uh, Sleeping Beauty Castle, of course. Mm-hmm. And the building's tent-like spires integrate themselves harmoniously into the rest of Disneyland Paris's Fantasyland. So Imagineers chose to make the right side wall look a bit weathered to give parkour's the impression that the building has been around for a long, long time. The roof receives to copper finish to underline its traditional appearance as well as extending the lifespan of the structure. Considering the harsh weather of the Paris region, this is definitely a good thing. (laughs) Now one really fun design detail to look out for are the light fixtures mounted to the sides of the building. They resemble ice cream cones, so this is really fun. It's a nice visual gag that also makes it super clear to all parkourers, even those of different cultures and backgrounds what Fantasia Gelati is all about. The ice cream parlor shares both texture as well as color palette with its next-door neighbor, the restaurant Pizzeria Bellanotte, ensuring visual continuity. Fantasia Gelati's exterior is not painted in a solid pastel tone, but is in a checkboard pattern which is suggested of a certain Italian gelato, like a nepolitan, <laughs> <laughs> and a reference to the neighboring pizzeria that features Venetian architecture. The interior layout of the ice cream parlor was determined by Walt Disney Imagineering interior designer David Bricky, as well as the Euro Disney Food Division. The floor tile pattern features a subliminal behavior instrument known as threshold stripe. It acts as a dividing line between the outside and the inside and lets parkourers know that it's time to slow down <laughs> that power walk. <laughs> right Now one last detail to keep in mind here is that the counter was originally fitted with wood lattice. Mm. However, park ops discovered that the thin wooden stripes did not make for a very durable material and so it was replaced soon after the opening of the parks. To become covered up with a much more durable mosaic, which also looks really nice. The clouds above the counter underpin the whimsical fantasy design and create a three-dimensional multi-plane effect and hide undesirable visual elements to keep the theming intact. A climbing plant reminiscent of Wisteria adds dimensionality to the composition and effectively ties into the background mural with the foreground counter area. The eye-catching mural features imagery from the pastoral symphony scene from the animated film Fantasia. Imagineers selected the scene because of its serene vibe and because it's never really gotten much exposure in Disney theme parks. Hmm. The execution of the mural was supervised by resident character expert Steve Cargill. Truly, the thing is lovely and also gives me Hercules vibes with the flying Pegasus. Pegasi? Pegasi? Pegasa? Pegasi. Pegasi? Anyway, (laughs) and what would appear to be a stylized rendition of Mount Olympus in the rear. Another interesting detail is the design of the door that leads to the backstage area. Its shape and form is based on Greek and Roman designs to tie in with the mural. Not only do the clouds on the ceiling hide less desirable elements, they also serve as a multidimensional continuation of the mural, a motif that can be found throughout European architecture. The ceiling also houses skylights, which used to be transparent. However, Imagineers discover that visual intrusion shortly after the skylights installation and decided to frost them over instead today fantasia gelati is only operated on warmer days and is usually only staffed when the park is at high capacity Mm -hmm. so more often than not you'll regrettably notice it's closed which doesn't mean you can't walk by and enjoy the fabulous theming and design of the parlor since it's a half and half outdoor space so you can enjoy the wonderful mural without even having to order any ice cream amazing how many (laughs) details there are and well such a small (laughs) place that is easily run by by a lot of people totally totally Uh, have you ever gotten a scoop of ice cream there yeah but
1: not many times indeed Uh, i think only (laughs) twice in many years (laughs) and multiple park visits it's a Uh, tough one it's a tough one indeed i remember that we bought ice cream uh, while waiting for the parade because it's just along the parade route true um, yeah uh, when the sun is shiny (laughs) you just sit down on the ground waiting for the parade then uh, yeah nothing better than uh, (laughs) have a nice ice cream yeah and you already mentioned uh, well the italian section and that's exactly what i wanted to talk about had the european connections of fantasyland before i start uh, eric did you realize that fantasyland is the only land without a thrill ride oh true now that you say if we it. don't consider main street uh, a real land of yeah, course but that's uh, true just something that i came across and uh, yeah i thought it was uh, pretty funny uh, i mean i guess uh, it's
0: appropriate for the target demographic i guess the most thrilling thing would be casey jr if i'm not mistaken right exactly but, and that's, yeah.
1: that makes sense yeah. though but in Walt well, disney world in Fantasyland, land you now have the seventh Dwarfs mine train which is not ah yeah you know, a coaster like uh, space mountain but it's uh, pretty similar to the big from the mountain uh, thrill level. so Very true. I I think
0: it's possible these days. That's true. That's uh, that's a good point. Well, maybe if we keep our fingers crossed real tight, (laughs) someday we'll get something like that. Maybe one day. Yeah.
1: On to Europe. So not only the well-known classic animated films uh, itself are honored in Fantasyland, but also their origins. And since we are in Europe, almost the whole land is dedicated to, well, yes, Europe. Lots of classic Disney animated features uh, created by Walt Disney are based on uh, European fairy tales. There's an Air Magique podcast about Disneyland Paris details in which I talked about, well, practically all European references uh, in in Fantasyland already. It's a good
0: episode. It's a good episode, (laughs) definitely, yeah. So be
1: sure to check it out. From the attractions to restaurants, character meets, music, food, everything has a connection. So I'll keep it a bit shorter in this episode, but yeah, be sure to check out the Disney details episode as well. So we have Germany and uh, the Bavarian uh, area, like the Au Chalet, the Marionette, uh, quick uh, service restaurant. And also the food offering over there is even matching with uh, the well, the Bavarian kitchen. Just like the Snow White, ride right, and the Seven Dwarfs Shop, huh, which originally is a fairy tale from the German uh, Grimm brothers. So that's definitely a German reference. While we have Italy, as you just said, represented with the uh, pizza and pasta restaurant, uh, Bella Notte, which is fully Lady and the Tramp style from the inside. We also have Pinocchio uh, with the right representing uh, Italy in, uh, in Fantasyland. While France is the castle, of course, uh, the origin uh, country of uh, well, the most charming uh, castles in Europe, I think. Sleeping Beauty um, is also a story that originated in France. And as an homage to the French cuisine, uh, you can also spot the snails, the escargot, on the golden tower of the castle. If you look uh, really uh, <laughs> closely, maybe use a camera to zoom a bit, but uh, yeah, they're really there. France is also uh, represented with uh, Auberge de saint as one of the best-known old versions of the story. is uh, run from uh, 1697 by the French author uh, Charles Perrault. Then over to England, Peter Pan's Flight, eh, where we take off from London and Total Hall restaurant uh, with its English uh, wind in the willows uh, theme. But also Alice in Wonderland, a story by uh, British author Lewis Carroll, which has two rides in Fantasyland, or two attractions, uh, Mad Hatter's Teacups and uh, Alice uh, Curious Labyrinth. That includes the uh, colourful uh, Queen of Hearts castle, so there's a lot of... Um,
0: Well, England uh, in there. They've got some good stories.
1: Yeah, definitely. And even my small uh, country, the Netherlands uh, has a small reference uh, with uh, the old mill, a snack. uh, Oh, so cute. Piosk nowadays. And it looks like, uh, well, a typical Dutch windmill. Uh, The old windmill connects to one of Disney's classic silly symphonies uh, shorts uh, with the same name. So it's also an actual uh, Disney reference that, well, a lot of people don't know about. Dumbo, I couldn't match with the European uh, homage and rides like Casey Jr., the Storybook Canal and also the Meet Mickey Mouse uh, Theater in the back of uh, Fantasyland those attractions were added later so I think there the, the European connection was lost a little bit <laughs> Lastly, in It's a Small World, the whole European community unites with the rest of the world. But of course, it starts with a show of the most European countries that are also represented in the park itself. So, yeah. A big homage to Europe in Fantasyland.
0: I mean, it's such a beautiful concept. I adore the depth of it all and Mm -hmm. the thought they put into the layout of the land. So yeah, I think it's fabulous. I don't really know what to add to that. You did such a fantastic job of summing it up again and yeah, (laughs) keep up the good work, Disney, (laughs) when you come up with planning the (laughs) lands. Yeah,
1: exactly. And be sure to keep true to this, have characters (laughs) and food matching with the actual
0: environment as well. That makes it so beautiful in my opinion totally it feels like such a real place there's a level of authenticity there that's very hard to describe and you really have to experience it True. when you're there in person yeah <laughs> totally agree yeah so i'm gonna continue on with our series in a series <laughs> which is the lost <laughs> ah, treasures yep. of fantasyland yeah <laughs> (laughs) So, if you've ever walked to the back of Fantasyland, you may have noticed a windmill, which is what Niels just mentioned as well, that represents the Netherlands. And it seems to be a carbon copy of the one that can be seen in Disney's Silly Symphonies cartoon, The Old Mill from 1937. Now, when the park originally opened, this was in 1992, the windmill only housed a counter service window, like it does today. You could purchase chamboussi, branded ice cream yogurt, sandwiches, beverages, complete picnic baskets, and marzipan figures modeled after the singing dolls from the neighboring It's a Small World attraction. Hmm. However, a year into operations, it was decided that Disneyland Paris needed to increase attraction capacity, especially in Fantasyland. So in 1993, a Ferris wheel was installed in the back of the old mill. The addition Le Pirouettes du Vaux Moulin (laughs) (laughs) was loosely based on a concept that had been developed but never executed in the early 50s for Disneyland in California. Not just any type of Ferris wheel would do, of course. It was perfectly themed to the old windmill itself. Parkgoers would sit in these oversized wooden buckets appearing carriages that would take you to the top of fantasy land. It was so cute. Overall, though, you wouldn't have to worry about a fear of heights since the first yeah. wheel was rather small, so didn't take you up much higher than the windmill blades themselves. True. Yeah. Its small size resulted in low capacity as well as slow loading and unloading procedures, which would result in the traction's closure in 2000. Today, only the original snack counter remains, but over time, I walk past it and I now picture the original miniature Ferris wheel that used to be <laughs> there, and it was a, such a cute attraction. Yeah. yeah, no, this is a great idea, but of course, low capacity is kind of the opposite of what you <laughs> want when you add a new attraction to the park, <laughs> yeah. and it didn't really solve any of the problems that Disneyland Paris had in terms of capacity, so. No, but it definitely looked really cute indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Added a nice kinetic vibe. True. Yeah. My next last is kind of a unique one. So in the early 90s, most of Disneyland Paris' attractions had an official corporate partner, which is something you may have noticed at many Disney parks around the world before. Between 1992 and 2008, It's a Small World teamed up with France Telecom. The attraction's sponsorship was presented by the World Chorus Post Show. In the France Telecom Pavilion located in the exit area of the ride, guests could wander amid detailed miniature recreations of world-famous landmarks. If you peek through the small windows of some of the models, one could see animated shorts starring children from all over the world rehearsing for a concert. Despite the massive distances between them, the children were able to work together thanks to, of course, the technological wonders of Telephone, Fax, Video, and (laughs) Minitel, a video tech service launched in France in 1982 by the PTT. All the animations were peppers ghosted onto a glass panel that was part of the three-dimensional set inside each showbox. This is one of the things that fascinated me as nice. a kid since I didn't really know about yeah. Pepper's Ghost back then. Can imagine, yeah. Yeah. It was one of the first video applications of the Pepper's Ghost technology. So that's very cool. The animated shorts were produced in Montreux, Saint Denis, France by Walt Disney Animation France and directed by Chris Bailey. The soundtrack of each short was synchronized to the background music of the pavilion. With the sponsorship ending in 2008, the World Course Post show closed on August 16th, 2010 to become the now-new interactive Princess Pavilion meet-and-greet space. These last two aren't really lost since we never got them in the first place, but I did want to mention the Little Mermaid abandoned attraction concept for Disneyland Paris. Mm -hmm. Unlike the clamshell Omnimore variants we got in the States, this would have been a suspended-style attraction like Peter Pan's Flight. Mm. Parkgoers would have boarded these very elegant-looking floating clamshells that could seat four riders, and had this adorable seahorse mounted to the front, <laughs> the dark ride would have been built near Pizzeria bellanote and integrated itself nicely into the area with a Mediterranean-looking mini-castle. Going by the size of the model we saw, the attraction would have also had roughly the same ride length as Peter Pan's flight and a complete under-the-sea sequence, so I'm super bummed out that we never got this yeah. attraction i think it's exactly what that space is missing since there's a long walk from Discoveryland yep. or main plaza to it's a small world and it's always felt a little bit yeah. empty and you only have food yeah. food food and toilets yeah and that's it <laughs> yeah. and last but not least imagineer jim scholl who has been posting really fabulous Disneyland paris behind the scenes insights oh, yes. on twitter recently shared his wonderful concept art for bonjour mickey which would have been an indoor mickey mouse meet and greet area in Fantasyland, replacing the open-air meet and greet on Main Street near Casey's Corner. So looking at Jim's concept art, the meet and greet would have been housed in this lovely Timber-framed cottage-style building with wonderful stained glass windows and a clock near the roof's edge. At the end of the day, this was a budgetary cut, as it would have been either this or The Mysteries of the Nautilus and The Nautilus 1. Yeah, Yeah, more than anything, I want a little mermaid, uh, dark red, but... (laughs) Yeah, that would would be awesome to have that, uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I... as it's such a popular Disney classic, and, and it's actually totally pretty strange that, well, there's no show or ride dedicated to The Little Mermaid in Paris, so uh, yeah. That's very true. Yeah, you can just see Ariel maybe in one of the parades, or yeah. meet her in the Princess Pavilion, but uh, yeah, that's
0: it. Yeah. yeah, it would have really done the space a lot of favors, and yeah, we can always use another deck, ride. So <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> the next pick is The Castle. Ooh. <laughs> It's the weenie, the visual magnet of Fantasyland and the park as a whole, uh, of course. Uh, Le Château de la Belle au Bois Dormant, or Sleeping Beauty Castle. So this is one that needs to be in this uh, deep dive, in my opinion. As,
0: yes. Yeah,
1: the original Disneyland Park in Anaheim also had the Sleeping Beauty Castle, but the Paris one is quite different. Walt based the original castle on the German Neuschwanstein (laughs) castle.
0: Very good, yeah. (laughs) Uh, To give it a
1: European touch, as the states don't have, well, castles from that period of time. But we do have castles in Europe, not just in Germany, but everywhere. And maybe the most charming ones are even in France. So just around the corner of Disneyland Paris, uh, there are lots of Actual <laughs> fairy tale <laughs> castles. And that makes think of strides about the design set, Disney Imagineer Tony Baxter, so... Walt well, Disney Imagineering decided to invest a bit more time and research and many designs actually before building uh, the castle in uh, Euro Disneyland as it uh, was called that time. The designs they tried to from modified Disney castle designs to completely new drawings, even a futuristic one. And the winning idea came from Imagineer Tom Mars who found inspiration in France from illustrations in uh,
0: Le Très Riche. De berry. <laughs> I'll have one of those, please, with a side of cola. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> sounds delicious, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Mont Saint-Michel, a monastery in uh, Normandy, also in France. So those two uh, were his uh, inspiration. And this is actually the only Disney Park castle that is built against a mountain with a waterfall instead of just, well, a castle on a square. The cool thing is that Imagineering was able to integrates some of the details from the animated classic uh, Sleeping Beauty like the iconic square trees uh, that can be spotted on the left side of the castle. So it's really a fantasy castle, it's French-inspired and there are also some touches of the uh, original animated movie. So uh, yeah, it's a charming combination of, uh, of elements. Overall, this is not the biggest Disney Parks castle with its uh, 50.9 meters, but it's definitely the most charming one in my uh, opinion. Yes. Yeah, let's have a look at the inside. So the castle features three floors. On ground level, you can just walk through it from the central hub into fantasy land, and then you pass by two uh, beautiful shops, uh, one creating and selling beautiful glass art, while the other is a Christmas decorations shop open uh, year-round. In the dungeon, we can find a huge audio-animatronic dragon, the one Eric will talk about uh, maybe. <laughs> in a minute, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and when we go upstairs, we can experience some amazing stained glass windows and uh, tapestries, uh, but also a spinning wheel, all retelling the story of Sleeping Beauty. And especially those stained glass windows, there are well really a highlight for me as these were handmade in London by real craftsmen, while being overseen by uh, Peter Chapin, who, for instance, worked on the restoration of the Notre Dame in the city of Paris. Making these windows true pieces of traditional art. Be sure to go up one day and uh, check them out. And when you've spotted these beautiful windows, you can even go outside to the balcony on the back of the structure, where you have a nice view over the castle courtyard uh, from there. But the castle has one more function. eh? It's not just a great backdrop uh, for your selfies or family pictures. It's also the center point of nighttime shows. The castle becomes a big screen on which film sequences are projected, while uh, music, fireworks, lasers, lights, everything (laughs) complements the pictures and make it a true uh, spectacle. It's a multifunctional uh, (laughs) structure. (laughs) And lastly the castle currently undergoes a massive refurbishment the renovation started in january uh, this year 2021 and it should be already before the resort's uh, 30th anniversary in 2022 so well i can't wait to um, have this beauty back in uh, full glory yes totally yeah looking really forward uh, to that
0: Uh, yeah so what's your favorite disney parks castle oh i mean hands down disneyland Paris. hands down (laughs) yeah okay yeah it has to be it was first of all it was my first disney castle and then second of all Aesthetically speaking, I find it the most pleasing one. I love the pastel color palette. It was intended to have that color, unlike the one in Disney World that now got (laughs) a repaint, which I'm very curious to see for myself, honestly, in real life. I did very much like the cool gray white color palette it had before. I thought it would look very elegant and it fitted Mm -hmm. that park nicely. So it'll be interesting to see them switch over to a pastel shade. shade. Yeah, yeah. 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 What about you, Niels?
1: I definitely think Paris has the most charming one but yeah i've saw pictures of the new uh, hong kong and uh, shanghai uh, castles oh
0: yeah that one's on the bucket list <laughs> yeah
1: those look amazing and they're big and, <laughs> and homage to multiple disney princesses but Still, uh, I think uh, the Paris one might be my favorite. The Disney World one is a bit bulky, in my opinion. And, of course, in Tokyo, they have a, well, a copy of that. So, uh, yeah, that's probably my least favorite. Yeah. And the Disneyland Anaheim one, yeah, it's a bit small. It looks definitely a bit more old-fashioned.
0: It's also charming. It's historical significance. And it's historical. So,
1: yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that, that's why it's it's still... Higher on the list uh, for me than the Walt Disney World and Tokyo Yeah, about the one.
0: Yeah. The Hong Kong one really fascinates me. It integrates so many different cultures yep. into one structure. And yep. they did a nice job in making it all harmonized. Every tower is uh, different. Yes, totally. When I first saw the concept art, I was a little bit skeptical yeah me too but i must admit that the final result did take me by surprise i liked it way yeah, more than i was I thought also I would. Uh, afraid that it
1: would be all over the place <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. no but that worked out really nice so
0: really kudos to that design team they did a great job of curating various cultural aspects and merging them really harmoniously True. together into one building i'm really looking forward yeah. to seeing that someday yeah. so i thought we could head over to the seven Dwarfs oh, cottage nice. shop which is one of the most immersive shops at Disneyland Paris you know this is a shop (laughs) that I've found to fall into the category of hidden in plain sight Mm -hmm. it's housed in an aesthetically pleasing exterior that blends in so well with its surroundings (laughs) 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 that I often tend to overlook it if I don't actively think of it so the blue lantern as well as the merch placed outside is what mostly catches the eye If you take an even closer look, you may notice the impressive clock tower, as well as the lanterns above the sign inlaid with stained glass apples that are always worth taking a moment to Mm -hmm. gawk at. Like several things we have mentioned in our previous Deep Dive episodes, the clock tower has an identical twin in Disneyland Park, California. So there, the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique is housed. So the American version was inspired by the clock towers from the villages such as Auxerre and... (laughs) Ribouville in France. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so maybe calling it identical is a bit of misleading, since like so many things, the one in Paris is a bit more detailed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A so-called Burgundian roof was added to enhance the concept for Disneyland Paris. So Burgundian roofs are made of glazed flat tiles in various shades and nuances that portray a colorful pattern characteristics of the traditional architecture of Burgundy on the roof itself. So, the shop's windows are glazed with mouth-blown pieces of green art glass that have been spun into regular circular shapes. These so-called rondelles were widely used in the townhouses of the Bourgois family and other secular buildings during the middle ages. Battlements were constructed behind the facade to reinforce the idea that the shop is located in the kingdom of King Stefan and Queen Leia, characters in Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty. The shop is divided into two areas, the Castle of the Evil Queen, Mm -hmm. and my favorite part, the Cottage of the Seven Dwarfs. (laughs) So the castle section's interior is characterized by thick stone wall pillars and chandeliers. Forest animals were sculpted at the top of each pillar to give the interior a little bit of extra Disney flair and add some whimsy, as well as reinforce the woodland theme. The colorful stained glass light fixtures hanging from the ceiling are based on gothic chandeliers, but Certain creative liberties have been taken, and the design has been stylized for the setting. So, I mean, I love me some Disney lighting fixtures, that is one of my personal highlights. I have a lot of pictures of lighting (laughs) fixtures. Right? Right? So, as to avoid an overly literal portrayal of time, space and scale, Walt Disney Imagineer Tom Morris decided to construct the entire exterior of the cottage inside the store. So this is my favorite part, and this is what makes this place truly brilliant. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but you've got the castle fortress exterior on the opposite side, as well as a massive fox pine tree to add some of the forest realness to the transition space. Offering this so-called cross-dissolve makes moving through the facility more stimulating and less predictable. An extra fun detail to look out for here are the woodland animals doing the laundry in the stream. nice. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot of fun. The Cottage of the Seven Dwarves is intricately designed with ornate wood carvings of various animals and occasionally dwarf figures as well. Almost every object contributes to the story and detail in its own way. Wood textures were chosen throughout the space to add warmth and character to the interior. And the design of the kitchen cabinet and the chandelier was inspired by the original artwork of the 1937 animated feature film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So what a fabulous, fabulous store! It truly transports you into the world of Snow White. It's so lovely, and also I wanted to give a shout out here to our <laughs> Disneyland Paris shops episode, <laughs> yeah. where we talk about a bunch of really fabulous stores in the parks. And um, go check that out if you haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Niels, yeah. what's your favorite section of the store? Do you prefer the the cabin or the castle? <laughs> <laughs> the cabin, definitely. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, it's
1: so cute, and indeed, it's. Quite a surprise when you walk in there for the first time and see that there's a full Seven Dwarfs cottage.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Unexpected. Actually,
1: I think the design of the cottage and the woods is even more, more detailed than the whole Snow White dark ride uh, that is in Fantasyland. Also true. <laughs> it's also three-dimensional, <laughs> which is... <laughs> yeah. You can walk through it and uh, yeah, it, it looks really nice. It's really detailed. so. Yeah, be sure to check that out, even if you don't plan to buy anything, it's really worth checking this place Uh, Yeah, and then take some nice pictures uh, of all the details. Yeah. Well, next I take us to Peter Pan's Flight. Oh, yeah. An opening day attraction from 1992. It's a three minute dark ride in which guests fly through the story. So the rail is mounted to the ceiling and a pirate ship shaped cart hanging underneath will take you through the story. It's a quite unique experience eh, compared to most other dark rides, which are just based on the ground and you can enter through both a regular entrance, quite a long wait usually, or you should get a fast pass in the morning as long as they're available to access it through the short line um, at a later moment uh, that day. Now with COVID-19, this is an attraction that supports the standby uh, pass system, which means uh, Disney could open the standby pass function in the park app to reserve access to the queue in well i believe a half an hour time slot peter pan's flight originated in the creative uh, minds of walt disney imagineering and the first version of this attraction opened in july 1955 in uh, disneyland resort anaheim the popular ride got versions in uh, a lot of disney parks worldwide in 1971 in walt disney world in 1983 in tokyo disneyland and in 1992 in paris shanghai also followed in 2016 so yeah Really, a popular ride, otherwise, they uh, <laughs> wouldn't copy it uh, over and over again. And all these Peter Pan flight attractions are still uh, operating. Let's have a look at the ride uh, flow. We first board the ship uh, that seats four adults split over uh, two rows, which is unique by the way, as the other versions of the ride just have one row. We start in the house of the darling family, we see the dog, the kids in their uh, bedroom, and then Peter's shadow is taking us for a flight while we fly out of the window, fly over London. We spot the second star to the right and set course to Neverland, of course, through a star-filled dark sky. It's all black light that is there, so uh, yeah, uh, be sure to wear uh, a white t-shirt or something (laughs) like that. Glow in the dark. (laughs) Glow in the dark, really nice. We discover Hook's uh, Jolly Rogers, Skull Rock, the Lagoon. We meet the Lost Boys, the Indian tribe. And we become the center of a fight between uh, Peter and Hook, so uh, yeah. This ride ends with Hook having trouble with uh, the TikTok uh, croc (laughs) and uh, some beautiful mermaids in the mermaid lagoon. And uh, along the way, we also spot uh, Tinkerbell and uh, Mr. Smee, of course. So uh, it's uh, the whole story (laughs) in just uh, like, uh, well, one minute. (laughs) (laughs) Five years ago in uh, 2016, the ride in Paris got a full uh, refurbishment. Uh, It was closed for quite a long time, I believe for around half a year. And everything got some love from a team of american and french artists together the exterior and especially the full interior uh, got a full repaint but also projections were added and uh, well all the light got replaced by uh, LEDs. so uh, yeah it's uh, bright and shiny uh, again (laughs) so nice it's really nice that they will still give an older attraction well a lot of attention and even try to improve it a little bit most definitely not completely getting away from the uh, original uh, concept but last but not least, I would like to mention that the location of Peter Pan's flight is also pretty smart as it's located next to the back gate uh, to Adventureland where we can find more pirate excitement uh, like the Pirates of the Caribbean, Skull Rock, the Jolly Roger, uh, the Pirate Treasure, the Cave, the Bridges, the Shipwrecks of uh, Adventure Isle. Everything pirate is just around the corner, so uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Making a nice connection between uh, these two lands, uh, in my opinion.
0: Most definitely. I think it's so clever how they also painted the rear of the Peter Pan show building to look like the pirate for it. Another connection to piracy from Adventureland to Fantasyland. So it's a lovely transition. One of my favorite, favorite attractions as a kid, really... Difficult to convince my dad mm-hmm. to take me on it just because of the insane wait time that it always has. Feels like it's permanently at yeah. 80 yeah. minutes.
1: It's really a low capacity attraction while it's yeah. well extremely popular. So uh, yeah, really expect the wait times of an hour or even one and a half hour. Yeah.
0: yeah, this is one of those fantasyland attractions that it's definitely worth getting a fast pass for if you yeah. are more intent on doing a dark ride than a thrill ride. Yeah, I love it. It's fabulous. It's classic. It's got more dimensionality to it than, let's say, Snow mm-hmm. White's Adventures, yep. which is mostly True. like flat yep. plywood cutouts that are painted really nicely, but still flat. Yeah, I really love mm-hmm. it. And it's a unique traction yep. system because you're floating. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's definitely making it more special. Yeah. So yeah, I'm taking it back to the castle. So this is one of those unique Disneyland Paris walkthrough attractions. So the dragon's layer underneath the castle. Housed in a cold, dark cavern, underneath Sleeping Beauty's castle sits a giant sleeping dragon amid a misty pool. From time to time, the oversized lizard awakens, looks around, roars softly, and goes back to sleep. The dragon is one of the biggest audio-animatronic figures ever conceived by Walt Disney Imagineering. Now, we've talked about it a bit on our previous Sleeping Beauty Castle Mm. episode. Again, (laughs) a callback to it if you haven't listened to that yet, be sure to check it out. But don't tune out just yet because we've got some great new secrets for you in this episode. So somewhat surprisingly, the attraction's background story was inspired by the Walt Disney animated feature The Fox and the Hound. A common misconception is that the audio animatronic dragon represents Maleficent when it is in fact Merlin's dragon buddy who also (laughs) lives in the castle. The story being that Merlin and the dragon crossed paths when they were young and soon became good friends. It was only years later that they realized that society expected them to be enemies. (laughs) But despite the social pressures, the two most unlikely of friends were able to hold on to their friendship and grow old together. Upon Merlin's retirement, the king gave the wizard and his dragon friend a home in and underneath the castle. So now we know why Merlin's shop is directly connected (laughs) to the dragon's lair. Yep,
1: you can just walk over.
0: Yeah, the dragon is nearly an identical copy of the one that could be seen in Cinderella Castle Mystery Tour at Tokyo Disneyland. For Paris, former Imagineer Terry Harden Jackson cut the scale model of the Tokyo dragon into pieces and retrofitted it to the available space underneath the castle. Before Terry was assigned to the project, Walt Disney Imagineering had intended the dragon to be a static figure. However, she persuaded Tony Baxter that the dragon needed to be an audio-animatronic that would be in constant motion. Besides waking up and going back to sleep, the dragon also moves its paws and tail while dreaming, just like cats and dogs do when they're asleep. (laughs) In the final version of the attraction, the dragon is in fact wearing a collar, which is a deviation from the original design. Seeing that the animal used to be Merlin's associate, Cherry was of the opinion that Merlin would never make his friend wear a collar, but would give it the freedom it needed. Several techniques were used to make the experience at the lair not too frightening for small (laughs) and big (laughs) kids. When the dragon awakens, it doesn't get angry. It simply looks around and goes back to sleep. The behavior gives the impression that the dragon doesn't consider visitors a threat. While the animal moves in its sleep like a cat or dog, its movements are reminiscent of a gentle pet. (laughs) By highlighting certain parts of its head with lighter colors, the dragon also appears less frightening. The design of the grotto was inspired by the famous Crystal Cavern at Sequoia National Park. Upon visiting the cavern, Terry noted the darkness and cool temperatures of the place. In order to mimic her experience in Paris, the lair is dimly lit and the room temperature is mostly kept at about 10 to 15 degrees, so cooler than the rest of the castle, winter being the main exception here. (laughs) The platform upon which the dragon lays its head has been positioned on a lower level than the rest of the cavern creating the desired effect that when the beast does wake up and move, people tend to take a step back. (laughs) Placing the dragon on a misty pool created a real challenge, though. How does one make smoke without filling the grotto with special effects fog? Mm. The solution was to use ultrasonic devices about the size of four sugar cubes that use the water of the lake to create fog. So, by the way, this is an effect that I haven't seen working in a very very long time i remember this being on many many years ago and it made mm. the atmosphere of the cavern that much more mysterious so it's a really lovely effect if it's yeah. not an operational issue i'd love for them to bring that back sometime yeah i think i have seen it in the last couple of years how nice but maybe not always okay yeah. last few times i was there Maybe it was just by chance it was off. Mm, So the dragon is fenced in by a simple chain. During the design phase, Terry and one of her colleagues came up with some alternatives and more creative ideas to separate the guests from the beast, but none of them ended up being used. One of the unused concepts was to position the skeleton of a second dragon with a sword in its heart between the audience and the audio animatronic. But as not everyone got the reference that it was a dead Maleficent, the idea was abandoned. <laughs> a second concept was a chain with links that appeared to be made out of helmets and shields. That didn't make the final design either, as it was feared that it would distract the audience's attention from the centerpiece of the walkthrough attraction, which is, of course, the sleeping dragon. <laughs> Opening day parkgoers' questionnaires revealed that the Dragon's Lair was voted as one of the best attractions in disneyland paris and to this day it's still a fan favorite it's the only thing i've ever experienced like it and of course the cave is full of secret details like the roaring dragon lanterns (laughs) covered in red stained glass that resemble fire or the skeletons of the small mammals the dragon has eaten scattered around it (laughs) i just adore this really quirky creepy attraction yeah it's extremely impressive i think totally and i mean i any animatronic is welcome <laughs> yeah <laughs> true i really <laughs> love this one <laughs> and still it's pretty scary for
1: uh, smaller kids yeah to go in this dark place intimidating and, uh, yeah. 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 yeah yeah it is yeah. yeah even though it's a friendly dragon big old yeah. lizard yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you can g- go in from the side of the castle true. you can go in from merlin's shop and you can also take the entrance uh, at the front of the castle uh, so yeah many yeah, possibilities uh, yeah and still a lot of people miss yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> next is snow white <laughs> oh nice yeah snow white in the Seven Dwarfs or Blanche Neige et le Sept Na. It's a classic dark ride through the story you all know eh, that seats uh, four to six people split over two rows in a nice minecart. The building has a traditional Germanic castle look fitting the theme and the origin of the story but be sure to look up before entering as the evil queen might appear uh, behind the window of the tower. A really nice touch eh, that a lot of people <laughs> don't spot but uh, yeah it's uh, Worth waiting for because, uh, well, she's looking uh, <laughs> <laughs> over the whole uh, courtyard. and uh, It's
0: so cool and creepy. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just appears behind that window. Looking all disapproving. Yeah. She's like, I do not approve these peasants. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> and well, the waiting area is a huge covered area uh, full of fences, making it a true <laughs> labyrinth. It's a bit dark, and you can spot some neat details like uh, the evil spell book, but also lamps with a dagger and a heart. (laughs) A bit creepy, maybe, but uh, yeah, fitting uh, the theme, fitting the story. It's quite dark uh, in there, actually, just like the ride itself, and it might be a bit scary for the younger kids. Um, The ride itself feels bumpy (laughs) with quick, sharp turns, and the decors feel, well, quite vintage. eh? As you said, they're flat, they're 2D but they're beautifully painted and it perfectly fits the classic animated film feel in my opinion yeah um. however i'm also open uh, to improvements so yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm a bit uh, on the edge between well keep this vintage or upgrade it uh. <laughs> yeah lots of guests are wondering why they don't see the snow during the ride but that's because you are the main character yourself you're experiencing her adventure You can spot Snow White in the happily ever after uh, exit area just before getting out of your uh, minecart but she's not visible in the actual uh, uh, ride. She's uh, also visible on the mural mural in the boarding area where we see all characters together and the unique thing in there is that we can spot both the old hack and the evil queen while they're basically the same person. (laughs) And to conclude uh, Snow White, I would like to go international, as you can currently find this attraction in Disneyland Anaheim, Tokyo Disneyland and Disneyland Paris. The names are slightly different of the attractions, but just like the rides itself, uh, there there are little uh, differences, but the concept is the same. This truly is a classic ride, as it was an opening day attraction in uh, Disneyland Anaheim, the original uh, Disney park created by Waltz, uh, in 1955. And that ride got a redesign in 1983, which is very similar to the Paris version that opened in 1992. In January 2020, the Anaheim version closed for a refurbishment and now includes some new scenes. Uh, modern technologies like laser projections, a new animation uh, system, LED uh, backlighting and uh, well, more uh, little upgrades. So maybe we can get that upgrade one day in Paris too, please. <laughs> 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 and lastly, uh, to conclude this uh, international uh, sidestep, there used to be a Snow White Dark Ride, Snow White Scary Adventures in Walt Disney World, Florida as well. That ride was demolished and made place for uh, a princess meet and greet location, the Princess fairy Tale uh, Hall. But the cool thing is that in Florida, they got a more thrilling, <laughs> a more modern Snow White themed ride, uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Which we uh, mentioned earlier. It's a very smooth, family-friendly uh, roller coaster with a slow and truly enchanting dark ride element in it. Truly a worthy upgrade. Yeah, that mine with all its sparkling diamonds, the classic work song of the dwarves and, well, and the cute dwarves, uh, of course. Yeah, it's beautiful. But the fun fact here is that most of the audio animatronics, including most of the dwarves in the final uh, scene are all recycled from that old dark ride so yeah it's not fully gone but it's part now of a more modern and more thrilling seven dwarfs ride. so uh, yeah that's uh, also very welcome for disneyland totally
0: (laughs) i mean this always feels like an homage to old fairground traveling carnival amusement type rides these dark rides that run on a rail that are really bumpy and are meant to be very portable and light. I wouldn't be mad at a nice redesign of the attraction. I would love to keep a Snow White attraction. I think it's brilliant. I don't want another meet and greet area. Please um, keep it a dark ride. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very tight space, so I don't think they could do too much if they're going to keep the location there, mm-hmm. but um, maybe upgrade some of the lighting effects, uh, little things. Yeah,
1: that would be really cool to uh, to do. And, and I totally agree that, well, we need to keep a snow watch, right, as well. That was the the one that started it all. Huh? The first animated feature movie totally. of Walt Disney. So uh, yeah, it uh, deserves a place uh, in uh, Disneyland Paris as well. I'd
0: also like to petition to make this a FastPass attraction since I feel like we need more FastPass attractions. <laughs> <And> <laughs> this is one that I never go on because um, even if I have a limited FastPass, I still have to wait 30 minutes for it. And I'm like, no, True. thank you. So, (laughs) last but not least is Mm. Pizzeria Bella Notte, which Ah. is an Italian counter service restaurant located just behind the entrance to Fantasyland at Disneyland Paris. It's an homage to the Walt Disney animated classic The Lady and the Tramp from 1955. Now, when you're standing in front of Pizzeria Notte, you may notice that the facade features elements of various architectural styles that can be found throughout Italy. Mm-hmm. By creating a pastiche of Italian sites, Imagineer Tom Morris desired to give parkourers a quick architectural trip around Italy. That's really fun. Yeah. Imagineers painted the upper half of the facade in a lighter shade than the lower half to make the building appear larger than it actually is and to accurately depict how old buildings tend to fade. The design of the middle part of the facade was inspired Inspired by the canal-facing buildings in Venice. It's a little crooked, just like many houses in the water-based city, of which the solid earth beneath cannot bear the weight of the building imposed upon it. So, I've been to Venice, and this is accurate. Yep. On the left-hand side of the facade, at the very top, you may notice peculiar M-shaped merlins. These are the solid, upright sections of a battlement, crenellated parapets, in medieval architecture or fortifications. This is something that architectural designer Ron Bauman really liked from his observations of old Italian castles. Mm. These M-shaped merlins are also called swallowtail or Ghibelline battlements and can be seen in cities such as Siena, Pisa, and Pistoia. The square or rectangular merlins are nicknamed Guelph battlements. The names Ghibelline and Guelph refer to the members of two opposing factions in Italian politics during the Middle Ages. The split between the Ghibellines and Guelphs caused chronic strife within the cities of northern Italy in the 13th and 14th centuries. Families distinguish their factional allegiance by the architecture of their palaces, towers and fortresses, so you know instantly which one is a Ghibelline structure and which one is a Guelph. <laughs> <laughs> On the right side of the restaurant's facade, there is a beautiful trompe l'oeil wall painting. The trompe l'oeil is an art technique that uses realistic imagery to create the optical illusion that the depicted objects exist in three dimensions. The famous forced perspective is a comparable illusion in architecture. These paintings can typically be found in Southern Europe. You can also find a lot of them here in Dresden because much of the city was destroyed in the Second World War and they were too cheap to rebuild the buildings as they originally were. So they instead used this painting technique to make it appear as if facades of the structures here are more detailed than they actually are. So custom outdoor lighting fixtures were installed in the shrubs in front of the building. They resemble the famous Venetian striped mooring pools. Pizzeria Bellanotti's interior looks like a gorgeous courtyard of large Italian villa at night. Transforming a setting from a day to night once a park-goer's walk-in a la yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean is a technique that's often used by Walt Disney Imagineering. It offers much more control over a scene by handing over lighting completely to the designers. The interior of a restaurant is a mix of different styles, creating a variety of playful spaces that invite parkgoers to explore. Various types of floor tiles were implemented throughout the restaurant to delineate the seating area from the main thoroughfare and to lead the restaurant's patrons to the service counters. Inside the restaurant, there are several noteworthy decorative elements, some pertaining directly to the Lady and the Tramp, specifically a wall mural of the iconic spaghetti scene, as well as marble-like statues of the Italian chefs and less IP-based, the fantastic wagon wheel that has been repurposed into a chandelier. (laughs) According to Tom, this underpins the storyline that the proprietors of the restaurant are folk of nature and resourcefulness. The chandelier also gives a lovely soft light and illuminates the faux balcony where someone appears to have left their gondolier hat. (laughs) (laughs) The fireplace is a special homage to Venice as it appears as if it has been constructed from salvaged parts of a Venetian villa balcony. Next to the balcony, one might Spot a reference to the northern Italian Commedia dell'arte. Imagineers showcased them to lend the restaurant a festive atmosphere. Commedia dell'arte, meaning comedy of the profession, was an early form of professional, mostly improvised and mass theatre, originally from Italy, that was popular in Europe from the 16th to the 18th century. The famous harlequin was one of its primary characters. Pizzeria Bellanotte also houses several references to wine growing areas of Italy. A small statue of Bacchus, the Roman god of wine and revelry, as seen in Disney's 1940 feature film Fantasia, is housed in the restaurant. So this is a fun little secret to spot. And in another part of the restaurant, wine barrels hanging from the ceiling, which is also a really fun design detail. This was inspired by a couple of restaurants the Imagineers visited in the late 80s while doing research for the Euro Disney Resort. The pizzeria's outdoor seating area has been intricately tiled with colorful ceramic mosaics. Somewhat heartbreakingly, many of the pieces of the tile originate from Mary Blair's mural that previously adorned the Star Tours building in Disneyland, California, no. so that was completely <laughs> taken apart. <Yeah. laughs> and they were like, well, let's not throw these colorful tiles away. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> the restaurant yeah. is a place I've walked through maybe once or twice to appreciate the wonderful design. However, I've never actually grabbed a bite to eat there. What about you, Niels? Uh, yeah, I had lunch there
1: for a couple of times, oh, nice!
0: Yeah, but well, the menu is limited. It's quick service,
1: of course. So they have, I think one pasta and two pizza options, but yeah. I have to say that, yeah, I love cheese so i always go for the four cheese pizza can't but, go wrong uh, with that yeah that one is pretty good uh, and uh, actually the same one as uh, you can get uh, from the, the adventureland uh, a colonel hathi's yes it's actually fully the same menu i think uh, they have <laughs> the same pasta the same pizza but that's pretty good fast food options that they have so yeah um, yeah i think i sat outside most of the times uh, and uh, yeah it's a uh,
0: Beautiful, sunny terrace. Does the parade pass by there? I think it's along the parade route, right? Yeah, it is. It oh, is. so yeah. if you are lucky, you might catch it.
1: Yeah. You won't see the dancers because of all the people standing in front of you right. and the little walls around it, but uh, well, especially with the big parade floats that we have uh, these days, you can see a lot from there, yeah. Oh,
0: I wish they would have elevated the terrace just a bit yeah. so you could get a good view. That would have been awesome. That would be really nice to have, yeah. Disneyland Paris 2.0. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe. maybe. Yeah. Last but not least, Niels, what's on your list? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> more food.
1: <laughs> ah. <laughs> The Toad Hall restaurant. Another quick service restaurant. This one takes us to the uh, English countryside and it's inspired by the wind in the willows uh, story. It's a beautifully themed place, uh, but it is uh, well rarely uh, seen open in the last couple of years, so such a pity. The facade of the Toad Hall restaurant is designed after that of Mr. Toad's wild ride in uh, Disneyland Anaheim. That ride never made it to Disneyland Paris, but imagine Imagineer. Tom Morris came with the brilliant idea to let us enjoy a meal in the frog's mansion uh, and have this classic story still being represented in our fantasy land. This restaurant is Mr. Toad's home and we can pay a visit to it. Uh, The exterior with its warm colored brick walls and uh, small windows look like what we've seen in the Disney animated film uh, with the famous uh, frog. The structure was placed above street level making it look not only impressive but also feel like you're looking at it from a frog's uh, perspective <laughs> <laughs> a bit like the feeling we get in uh, ratatouille over in uh, Walt disney studios park where we become rats right uh, and with all those huge screens and decors and props another cool detail uh, in this facade of total restaurant is the latin sentence above the entrance, which says, and I hope I pronounce it right, Consumus froglagus <laughs> that <laughs> <That's> translates <funny. laughs> into don't eat frog legs, as the French consider frog legs an upper-class uh, treat, uh, let's say. Let's go inside and have a look around before we uh, check out the menu. There are multiple rooms in this building that we can explore full of nice details like uh, antiques frescoes and a lot of other art when we enter there's a great portrait uh, for instance uh, painted by kent elefson kent was an artist who worked for the disney parks Uh, you can find his touches in peter pan's flight in it's a small world uh, for instance to keep it in fantasyland and in the other rooms are more paintings from him so uh, yeah that's an interesting uh, fact that it's not just Some lousy uh, pieces of art, but uh, (laughs) yeah, uh, (laughs) stuff from a real artist. Next we walk through the library with a big fresco above the door to enter the kitchen. And this kitchen is a cozy and warm family-style place with traditional red tiles on the back wall where uh, cast members uh, take orders and collect our food. There's a characteristic wooden cabinet in there as well that catches the eye. And when we obtained our treats, it's Time to get seated, of course, in one of the dining rooms. And these are all themed as, well, different rooms of the Frog's house. So we have a greenhouse with green English pub touches. A drawing room with uh, colourful uh, carpets and nicely patterned uh, wallpapers uh, and a huge fireplace. Dimensions Games Room is another uh, dining uh, room, which is full of vintage sports attributes. So it's a really nice one where you can look for hours to all the little things that are uh, in there. But, uh, well, I'm hungry now, so let's have a look at the menu. <laughs> <laughs> Total all offers uh, British uh, food uh, options. Um, and uh, the main thing here is the fish and chips. Menu number one, fish and chips. <laughs> well, menu number four is fish and chips, but then the double version. So that's for the hungrier guests. Those are pretty good, uh, by the way. Uh, the only thing I um, chose here, actually, during my uh, visits. They also offer beef, stew pie, and a hot chicken and uh, bacon uh, sandwich. Um, as a dessert, you can choose um, for a nice apple caramel, crumble cup, and cream cheese. The kids' offering includes thin fish fillets and a hot chicken uh, sandwich. So uh, yeah, there's a little bit more on the menu, but these are the highlights and uh, fitting the British uh, theme. So uh,
0: have you been here uh, ever, uh, Eric? uh I've never had the fortune of getting to dine there because... Last time I was there, I think it was open, but then they didn't have oh, a good vegetarian wow. option <laughs> for no, my husband. That's true. And then no. other times I've been there without the vegetarian restriction and it was closed. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, yeah. I've never had yeah, luck. Yeah, they do have a veggie burger
1: and uh, well, one of those basic salads that they sell everywhere, but it's not really appealing to
0: vegetarians. Uh, yeah, I think in I'm sure some yeah, folks are happy yeah. with the burger, but Florian, my husband, he just wasn't into it. <laughs> so no. we ended up going to Fuente Lotto, like we do most of the time when we're there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: that remains a great option. Yeah. Yeah. Total. <laughs> if you're into the fish and chips, definitely go here. And, uh, and otherwise, you if it's open, be sure to sneak in and have a peek in, yeah. the, in the different dining rooms because it's uh, yeah, such an amazing place with totally. really different uh, areas. So uh, yeah, it's a nice uh, discovery. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Niels, we've come to the end. Yeah. <laughs> where can people find you? Well, people
1: can visit my Instagram account uh, where you can find uh, around 3,000 pictures already from Disneyland Paris and uh, Walt Disney World. It's nice. at capturing Disney parks. And uh, for my influencer spotlight series, Twitter podcast and uh, other articles please go to uh, capturingdisneyparks.com you
0: guys be sure to follow airmagique on twitter instagram and facebook for more neat disneyland paris content if you enjoyed the show please leave a rating and review on your favorite platform it really makes a difference and helps new folks discover the show and if you do we might read it on a future episode so anna from the uk writes airmagique helped a lot i think i would have gone crazy for boredom if i didn't find you guys. I just didn't like any of the other podcasts I tried, but you and Eric just flowed really well together and your content was really interesting. It definitely took my mind off how rubbish I was feeling. So Anna was suffering from COVID and we both hope you feel much better now, Anna. And thank you so, so much for your kind words. Yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So you guys be sure to stay safe and thank you so, so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When you think of a theme park, waiting in line usually is something you want to avoid at all costs, so it can be boring, claustrophobic, and kind of a strain on your feet. However, certain attractions make the best out of the spaces that are designed to hold as many folks as possible. They tell stories, immerse us in fantastic worlds, and act as a build-up to the ride itself. The Twilight Zone Tower of Terror is my third pick. Uh, (laughs) So depending on how busy the Studios Park is, this queue might start before even passing through the hotel's Pueblo Deco gates. Now one of my favorite hidden details to look out for is the fiber optic lighting hidden in the tower. of Terror sign out front. Take a good look at the old plaque that reads The Hollywood Tower Hotel. And you'll notice that the glowing words, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, appear to magically conjure themselves out of nowhere at regular intervals. It's so cool. Yeah, it's really nice. (laughs) Now the queue starts outside, and it's such a tease because at first glance it looks like you can just directly walk into the lobby, but no dice. (laughs) The rail path twists around and to the left to the gardens. One nice detail are the metal railings, which are very Artico and harmonize nicely with the Pueblo decor exterior. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Pueblo Deco fuses elements of Art Deco and the Pueblo Revival design movement. Early Pueblo Deco design was influenced by architect Mary Coulter's work, which incorporates Native American elements. The term was popularized by author Carla Breeze, whose books describe the fusion of southwestern motifs with the popular Deco style. Notable examples of buildings incorporating the Pueblo Deco elements include the Kimo Theater in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the Arizona Biltmore Hotel in Phoenix, Arizona, and the Tower of Terror at Walt Disney Studios in Paris. (laughs) The Pueblo Revival style is associated with Art Deco's borrowing of non-Western stylistic elements, principally from Egyptian, Asian, and Native American sources. The style emphasizes applied ornament, often in metalwork, together with extensive tile work and wall murals but there is not all that much going on in the gardens i feel like hollywood studios in orlando does a much better job of managing sight lines mm. in the gardens themselves as in paris you can still pretty much see what's going on in the rest of the park yeah. one highlight though is definitely the vintage jazzy soundtrack which sounds very ghostly with lots of echoes i'm very inspired by the phantom manor area I love this soundtrack. It's so wonderfully creepy. I had this super long phase where I would always listen to it when I shower, and I have no idea why I'm crazy. My boyfriend at the time was like, you have a very exotic taste in music. He didn't get the reference, so we had a breakup. Just kidding, but maybe not. (laughs) Now, this was just a short preview of the full-length Patreon exclusive show, The Secrets of Disneyland Paris Queues. You can get access to this fantastic exclusive, plus all of our previous bonus episodes, Disneyland Paris Trivia, 2020 Highlights, The Past, Present, and Future of Buffalo Bills, and much, much more for just two euro, now on patreon.com slash Link in the show notes.